following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning, Matt Nightingale, who I'm looking forward to hearing from because I know how much Scott respects him. So um, like your Olympics, uh, this is via tape delay. Um, However, uh, Matthew is on Zoom. For those of you who are live on Zoom, he is live on Zoom also and will be hanging around uh, on Zoom after the service if you have questions or want to talk. Thanks. Good morning, Artisan. It's so good to be here with you this morning. I live in Santa Rosa, California, about an hour north of San Francisco in the wine country, but I'm recording this message at my boyfriend's house in Puerto Vallarta, Jalisco, Mexico, earlier in the week. And even though I'm pre-recording this message, I'm with you on Zoom, and I'm planning to stick around for a little bit after the worship service. I'd love to meet you and to respond to any questions or hear any of your insights and experiences. Even though I've never been with you in person, your church has a really special place in my heart because I've known your pastor, Scott, for many years. For 16 years, starting in the year 2000, I was a pastor in the Evangelical Covenant Church. I was primarily a worship leader, serving churches in Houston, Seattle, and Tulsa, Oklahoma, as well as the San Francisco Bay Area. I always loved helping people get connected to each other. And over the years, I helped to create a vibrant community of covenant worship leaders, both online and in person, at regional conferences and at our annual Midwinter Pastors Conference. Scott was always an encouraging and helpful presence in those spaces. I got to know Scott in a different way in the last several years of my time in the covenant. Those of us who dared to question the denomination's stance on LGBTQ plus identities and relationships often seemed to find each other. And I was fortunate enough to be welcomed into a beautiful coalition of clergy and lay people who were working to make the covenant a more inclusive, safe space for everyone. Just like we had in the worship leaders community, we in the all are welcome community gathered online and in person to talk, pray and strategize. It was during those years that I met Anna and Elliot Voss, Bethany Beams, and then later via Twitter, Mel Muscarella and Penny Sterling. And it was in that safe context that I was able to come out myself, first to close friends like Scott and then publicly in 2016, when I announced that I was going to live my life as an authentically gay man, which for me meant the end of my 23-year marriage and my resignation from my local church in Santa Rosa, as well as the surrendering of my ministerial credentials. In 2015, Just about a year before I came out, I was featured in the Denominations magazine in an article on worship ministry. I even got to be a cover model for the first and probably last time. I don't remember this pose, but somehow it was chosen. Seeing the opportunity to have some fun with this, my friends began posting pictures of themselves, holding the magazine and one finger to their lips and using the hashtag SilentMatt. Of course, they had no idea what Matt was being silent about until the next summer when I decided that I could not hold on to the significant truth any longer, when I couldn't be silent anymore. Throughout this message, I'll share more of my story and how I have experienced God over the last five years since coming out. But I wanted to start with that foundation, and I want to express how grateful I am to Scott to your church's leadership, and to all of you for working so hard to make Artisan a truly welcoming community for LGBTQ plus people. 
you are a huge encouragement to me and to people like me. I know how important it is sometimes for allies to stay in non-affirming spaces so that they can be agents of change. But I also know how important it is to discern when that season is over and decide to go a different direction. So I applaud your decision to disassociate from the covenant. And I pray that more and more churches will find the courage to follow your lead. As I read through the lectionary scripture readings for, the, for today, I was especially struck by Psalm 145. This is the last psalm that is explicitly attributed to King David. And it's really uplifting and encouraging poetic language, full of beautiful promises. We already heard these words this morning, but I want to repeat some of them. Listen to these promises. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. And listen especially to the words from the last verse. The Lord is near to all who call on him. I titled this sermon, The Lord is Near, but let's be honest. Sometimes near is the last word we would pick to describe God. Sometimes God seems impossibly distant, completely out of touch with the day-to-day reality in which you and I live our lives. Sometimes I have to laugh when I think about that Bette Midler classic, From a Distance. It was a huge hit in 1990, the year I graduated from high school. Do you remember this song? It talks about how messed up the world is. Guns, bombs, disease, war, poverty, hunger. But how, from a distance, the earth looks peaceful, blue and green. From a distance, you look like my friend, even though we are at war. From a distance, we all have enough and no one is in need. So basically, the further away from reality you are, the better everything looks. (laughs) And even though it's basically a lie, It looks pretty. And then comes the big sing-along finale. Some of you will know these words. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. So the big comforting feel-good message of this song is that God is so far away, so out of touch with reality that God thinks everything is just fine. I just cannot understand how this is supposed to help anyone feel better. I don't need a God who is out there. I need a God who is right here. The God that is closer than a brother. The God that is closer than my breath. I need Emmanuel, God with us. So today I want to explore that God together. I want to share what I have learned about that God and how we can cultivate an awareness of that God right here in ordinary time, right here in the day-to-day stuff of our lives. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. And if you are open to this idea, I'd like to encourage you to close your eyes and get settled in your chair or your bed or your table, wherever you are this morning. (sighs) Take a few deep breaths, maybe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Let's try to be truly present and open to ourselves, to each other, and to God. I like to place my hands 
in my lap or on the table in front of me, palms up. This is simply a way to communicate with our bodies, not merely our thoughts or our words, that we want to be open to God, that we want to receive whatever God wants us to receive this morning. So let's pray. Holy One, thank you for your presence here with us today. Please give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are doing and saying. May we have open hearts and minds, and may we experience you somehow today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I've been thinking a lot about the presence of God I know many of us who grew up in church are familiar with this idea that we need to pray and seek God's presence and God's guidance. And for for some of us, it becomes a job, a task, something to strive for. In our church services, sometimes we pray an invocation. We are somehow invoking God's spirit and asking for God's presence. We talk about how God showed up in a particular circumstance. We sing songs asking God to come near. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Father, we're on our knees. With every heartbeat, we bring you this offering. Lord, come and fill this place. And if you were raised in evangelical or fundamentalist Christianity like I was, the presence of God was often linked to how pious or holy I was being or how much Bible reading and quiet time I was having. And for some of us, even thinking back to those days can bring up some pretty difficult emotions. And honestly, for some of us, trauma responses. I cannot tell you the hours spent on my knees in my room as a teenager, praying for deliverance from my homosexuality. I prayed and read the Bible. I memorized entire passages of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Romans 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? May it never be. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? These and many other passages are imprinted on my brain, and I'll probably never forget them. And honestly, I'm grateful for that in many ways. I value scripture deeply, and I take it very seriously. But I cannot deny that for many of us, perhaps especially for those of us who grew up LGBTQ plus in the church, this book has been used as a weapon against us. I know for myself, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how many times I quoted these words, no matter how many times I was up at the crack of dawn seeking God, I never felt like I arrived. I always felt like I had to spend more time, read more verses, write more journal entries, pray more prayers. And while I had moments of feeling like I was in God's presence, more often than not, God was frustratingly distanced. In the Jewish scriptures, there's a story in the book of 1 Kings about the prophet Elijah in a confrontation with the prophets of Baal. They devise a sort of test to see who the real God is. The Baal worshipers build an altar, slaughter a bull, and lay it in pieces on the altar. Elijah invites them to pray for fire to burn up the sacrifice. They pray all day long without any response. Elijah even mocks them in 1 Kings 18, 27. Shout louder, he said, surely he is a God. 
Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. The prophets respond by cutting themselves and adding their own blood to the altar, but nothing changes. There is no response. I'm sure you either remember what happens next or can figure it out. Elijah really goes overboard as he prepares his own sacrifice, digging a ditch around the altar and soaking the bull, the wood, and the altar with water until it overflows and fills up the moat. He prays and God sends fire from heaven to completely consume the sacrifice. When I was a boy, I knew it was my God who won that challenge. I knew my God was supposed to be the one who would show up and make everything right. But in truth, I felt more like the prophets of Baal, doing everything I could to try to get God's attention, to get him to pay attention to me and to fix me. Does anyone else relate to that? All throughout the Bible, there are moving and powerful depictions of God's love and God's presence. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But sometimes there seems to be a disconnect between these beautiful scriptural affirmations and our lived experiences. So what do we do? If God really is near to all who call on him, how do we experience that nearness? What does calling on him look like in our lives in Rochester or Santa Rosa or Puerto Vallarta in July of 2021? At my church, The Quest, I'm so blessed not only to be able to co-pastor an American Baptist church as an openly gay man, but also to have the freedom to admit that I might not have all of the answers. We often say at The Quest that we could be wrong, but this is where we are today. We trust that we are always learning and growing and we reserve the right to change our minds. So having said that, I wanna share some things that have helped me and have helped other people experience the presence of God. I wanna talk about looking back, looking around and looking within. One of the things that fuels my faith and reminds me of God's presence is stories of God's faithfulness in my own life. I am particularly moved by full circle stories. I love the fact, for example, that my co-pastor at The Quest, Tony Gapistone, is also my best friend of 20 years. Back in 2000, when I took my first full-time worship pastor job at Peninsula Covenant Church in Redwood City, California, Tony was already on staff as the young adult college pastor. 
He and I quickly became good friends. And in 2002, when I came out for the first time, Tony was one of my strongest supporters. Now, to be clear, when I came out in 2002, it was not to live as an openly gay man. It was to be healed. I came out to my wife and to some close ministry friends. I was seeking accountability and healing. At the same time, I was convinced that that was the right thing to do. And so was Tony. He became my closest prayer and accountability partner. He was my champion when it came to my conversion therapy attempts. And he was always my first call when I was feeling tempted or when I had to confess looking at porn or something like that. Even though I realize now how misguided we were, those were important and precious times to me. And I still look back on them with an odd kind of nostalgia. It was the first time in my life that I was telling the truth as I understood it. And I was finding acceptance and love, friendship and camaraderie. I left PCC in 2008. And over the next 11 years, Tony and I both went on journeys. I grew in my understanding of my own identity and in my theology of human sexuality. And Tony grew in his understanding and affirmation of LGBTQ plus people. In 2019, through a fascinating series of events, he and I were hired to co-pastor our church. <laughs> and it feels so amazing to be back in partnership in this way. Ministering together feels so natural. And even though some were concerned about the idea of hiring two part-time pastors who are commuting 30 minutes and 75 minutes one way, it became really apparent when the pandemic hit that we were exactly the right people to be leading this church. Two tech-savvy pastors who already had significant social media presence and experience and who didn't even need to be in the same city for almost a year. It was such clear evidence of God's presence and guidance. I want to share one more meaningful full circle story. I talked about our covenant group of LGBTQ plus affirming ministers. Scott was in that group. So was a woman named Eva Sullivan Knopf. Eva had been a pivotal part of my journey toward acceptance of LGBTQ plus people and ultimately my own self. Several years prior to that, she and her daughter, the writer, actor, and trans activist B. Sullivan Knopf, had appeared at a gathering called A Time to Listen in the basement of the Hyatt Regency O'Hare at the ECC's annual Midwinter Conference. Hundreds of us had packed into that room to hear stories from LGBTQ plus covenant people, to listen and learn and pray. Eva was among the supportive friends who walked with me in those early months of 2016, as I knew my coming out was imminent. One day I got a Facebook messenger message from her. She said I was about to go through a really difficult season and she knew I would need a pastor. So she recommended that I talk with a woman named Joanna Quintrell at the Journey Center in Santa Rosa. So I went to visit Joanna and she and I talked and laughed and cried and prayed. And she invited me to join the spiritual director formation program, even offering me a scholarship because she said Jesus put it on her heart. Over the next couple of years, I found a safe and sacred spiritual home. In October of 2017, I wrote, for the last eight months, I found myself in this beautiful place every two weeks. Through an incredibly difficult season of life, the Journey Center has been a refuge for me. No matter what I'm going through, from financial insecurities to a new full-time job, from moving into a new home to having my heart broken, from feeling God's presence to wondering whether God is even real. Through all the doubts and fears and celebrations, 
even when I've wondered whether I had the time, energy, or desire to pursue this program, I'm always grateful to be here. It always feels like home. For four hours, I put my phone on airplane mode and tune out the world around me. I see and hear and feel the presence of God. I focus on the things that matter most to me, and I'm completely authentic and vulnerable with people who are safe and loving. The people who journey with me have become dear to me. Week after week, I'm surrounded by the most amazing assortment of spiritual pilgrims. We come from many backgrounds and perspectives, but we hold sacred space for one another to encounter the divine. It's a holy and powerful thing. One thing I know, whoever God is, she or he meets me here in this space, incarnated in the beautiful people who travel this road with me. When I graduated from that program later that year, I was able to begin practicing spiritual direction, which led to my working with the amazing Candace Zubernant and our colleagues at the Christian Closet. Offering spiritual direction and facilitating support groups has been so fulfilling and meaningful to me and has opened the door to many opportunities like presenting workshops at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference right before the pandemic shut everything down in early 2020. As I was starting to work with clients of my own, I knew that I needed to be in a spiritual direction relationship with a director of my own. So I reached out to Candace to see if she knew anyone she could recommend for me to work with. She recommended I work with an old family friend of hers who is also an accomplished spiritual director and a fierce LGBTQ plus ally. <laughs> I could hardly believe my ears when she said the name Eva Sullivan Knopf. Sometimes when I struggle to feel God's presence, beautiful full circle stories like these two remind me that God is real and that God is always working, always causing all things to work together for good for those of us who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes it helps to look back. Secondly, I think looking around can be a helpful practice. And when I say looking around, I really just mean noticing. For me and for many people I work with, contemplative spiritual practices can be a helpful way of connecting with God. I just talked about the Journey Center. We are a Christ-centered home for contemplative spirituality. And we welcome people of all faiths or none who want to grow in their spiritual lives. We offer classes in and experiences of contemplative practices like Lexio Divina, prayer of the imagination, prayer of examine, centering prayer, and spiritual direction. Every other Monday night, I lead a wonderful discussion and fellowship group centered around contemplative spiritual practices. This started out as a group for local queer people in Santa Rosa. And then when COVID hit, we went online. And for a year and a half now, we've been growing in numbers and growing in community. People from all over the United States and sometimes Canada and Mexico join us. In fact, as word of this group started to get out, we had a lot of our straight friends wanting to join us. And rather than risk losing what was so precious to us, we decided to keep our group for only LGBTQ plus people. But we added a group that meets on the other Monday nights so that anyone can join. Side note, I love how the power dynamic flipped in this situation. People wanted what the queers have. <laughs> so we got to decide whether and how we would let them experience it too. Anyway, as we've been learning over the last couple of years, the contemplative spiritual practices invite us to slow down, to pay attention, to notice what God is doing, 
We live in such a fast-paced world that it's sometimes difficult to be silent and still. But the riches that await us as we practice and learn how to do that are immeasurable. Alejandro, my boyfriend, and I went to the botanical gardens here in Puerto Vallarta last week. And I had an experience that reminded me very much of these contemplative spiritual practices. I'm a little bit colorblind. And sometimes when I look at a beautiful garden or forest, I kind of just see a lot of green. <laughs> it's pretty, but it's pretty bland. We were walking through these fields and jungle areas and Alejandro started pointing out these tiny purple and yellow flowers. I hadn't even seen them until that moment. But then once I started to notice, I started seeing them everywhere. For me, as a colorblind person, it's not always that I can't see the colors, but I can't see them until I slow down and really look for the colors. It takes practice, like a contemplative spiritual practice. These are called practices because the more we do them, the better we get at them. Practice, it seems, really does make progress. Mary Oliver wrote a very famous poem called The Summer Day. It's probably best known for its last two lines. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? But those words are so much more powerful in context. Listen to the whole poem. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearm and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I think Mary Oliver knew what all the great spiritual masters know, what we've been experiencing in my Monday night group and what I discovered at the botanical gardens. Sometimes it helps to look around As I begin to wrap up today, I want to talk about one more place we can look when we need to feel the presence of God. We can look within. Right after I came out in 2016, I served as the music minister at San Francisco's Metropolitan Community Church. It's a historically gay church that's been marrying same-sex couples since 1968, and it was amazing to be immersed in that world for nine months. One of the things I enjoyed most was the weekly Tizay service where we would sing short, repetitive chants again and again, letting the words sink down into our hearts. And one of the songs that I fell in love with was a setting of a poem by Ntezake Shange, the black feminist poet and playwright. These are the words that we sang. I found God in myself. I found God in myself 
And I loved her fiercely. Oh, I loved her fiercely. I found God in myself. After I got over being slightly scandalized by these provocative words, I came to love them so much. Some would say it's heretical to claim that God is within us. But isn't that exactly what Christian theology teaches us? What is the Holy Spirit, if not the sweet feminine presence of God herself indwelling each follower of Christ? In John 14, 15 through 20, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I recently launched a new nonprofit organization called Common Sanctuary. We are all about life at the intersection of LGBTQ plus and Christian. And we work hard to create safe and sacred space for healthy conversations around faith and sexuality. In fact, your pastor Scott will be joining me on September 26th for the very first Common Sanctuary Forum discussion that will be released as a podcast. And before that, on August 13th, we're having an online launch party to share this vision and invite people to join us. Every time I say our name, Common Sanctuary, I'm reminded of the presence of God. Yes, our world desperately needs sanctuary, safe space to deal with our real questions and doubts and hopes and fears. But we don't have to search far and wide for this sanctuary. It's not the realm of mystics or theologians or academics, unless you believe, as I do, that we all can be mystics, theologians, and academics. No, this is a common sanctuary. It belongs to all of us, and it's available anytime, anywhere, right here in the ordinary stuff of life. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God, for your love and for your presence. Give us eyes to see you and ears to hear your voice. And remind us that these earthy flesh and blood bodies are the temple of the very Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.